The regular season has finally come to an end. A semi-entertaining championship Saturday leaves us with a pretty uncontroversial playoff selection. Bowl games are set. We'll talk some coaching searches. Let's get into it. What's up, guys? Let's Talk College Football Podcast. It's Michael Kirkering hosting, as always. And I don't know about you guys, but I was pretty entertained this weekend with the championships. Obviously, it wasn't the craziest things that could have happened, especially given that on Friday, Utah blew their chances terribly. I mean, Oregon just dominated Utah. And it's sad for Oregon, too, because it just goes to show you if they would have, you know, beaten Arizona State or just not scheduled Auburn, they would probably be in the playoff right now, or at least have caused a lot more controversy heading into it. Um, Also, if Utah would have just won, then who knows? I don't know if they would have got in Oklahoma or not, but at least there would have been a more intriguing debate. If you are a fan of an eight-team playoff, and I have actually converted over to that and i'll explain in a future podcast later in the week but if you are a fan of an 18 playoff this year was not good for you because any year where the final four is just obvious it makes total sense there's not a lot of controversy on selection sunday that does not bode well for advancing to an 18 playoff sooner than later i mean Everyone seems to be under the impression that it is coming eventually. Most likely it'll be at the end of the contract. And remember, it was a 10 or 12 year original contract that started in 2014. So at least 2024, maybe 2026 before maybe we have an 18 playoff. But there are some scenarios where that happens faster. I'm going to talk about that in a later podcast, like I said. But in short, To get there sooner than later, you need more years where there's just chaos and a lot of controversy about who gets in and who's left out and stuff like that. We've had some years with controversy. The very first year was a good one. Uh, UCF not getting in when they were undefeated is a decent one. That could; those are the types of arguments you need. But like I said, I'm gonna do an entire podcast on an 18 playoff, what that might look like, how realistic it is, and, and stuff like that. I'm gonna do that later. And also talk about why I went from being a huge fan of four team to now I'm actually am a fan of eight team. But anyway, let's keep it on track here. The playoff rankings came out, and no surprise of who the top four was. The only real controversy was going to be who was going to be one. Was it going to be Ohio State or LSU? LSU gets the one seed, as I think they should have, um, given that their resume to me is slightly better than Ohio State's, and it, and it is slightly. Ohio State does have a great resume. Um, LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Oklahoma 4. 
Now, the rest of the rankings, I actually, for the most part, really do agree with. And if you've been listening to my show and you have been paying attention to me, keep rattling off the same shtick about how you actually make the playoff and who's ranked above who and I, how I call this committee the BCS committee and not the best four teams committee. You know, words like that, best four teams, have really been the, the slogan. That right there has been the slogan that's caused the most controversy in the playoff era because it's got all sorts of people saying all sorts of crazy things that they never would have said before and that you don't say in any other sports, right? For example, um, take the Fine Bomb Show and, and some SEC fans, not not trying to pick on them by any means, but you had uh, Fine Bomb talking to, I forget who it was, somebody on his show, and he was, this is when Alabama was dropped to 12th after they lost to Auburn. Now they're at 13, so they're probably even more mad, but Alabama dropped to 12th, and they just couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. They're like, they're looking at the rankings, and, and I understand this argument, right? You're an Alabama fan, or just a college football fan, objectively looking at Alabama, and you're like, okay, Alabama was 12, and you're sitting there, and you see teams like Penn State ahead of you, Florida, Wisconsin, Baylor, Oklahoma, Utah. All those teams were ranked ahead of Alabama last week, and a lot of them still are this week. Well, you're sitting there, and you're like, well, Auburn's ranked ahead of us. They did just beat us. Even though they have one more loss than us, that, that that makes sense, right? An Alabama fan can probably swallow that. But what all Alabama fans and, and certain fans had a problem swallowing was, why, why is Baylor ahead of us? Why is Utah ahead of us? You're telling me on a neutral field, Alabama wouldn't be favored to beat Baylor, Utah, Wisconsin? And the answer is, no, of course Alabama would be favored on a neutral field if we played tomorrow. Alabama would most likely be favored. Alabama's playing Michigan now in the Citrus Bowl. I don't know what the line is for that game, but I guarantee you that Alabama's favored by 10 points at least. Okay, Michigan's ranked below Alabama, but just follow me for argument. Now, if it was truly about the best four football teams and the rest of the rankings were solely based on who the best football teams are, then yeah, Alabama would be higher than 12. But also that would just be ridiculous for the sport for anybody and no and anyone who's not an Alabama diehard fan and even some actual Alabama fans have to admit like that makes sense that is fair Alabama lost to the only two good teams they played and outside of those teams their schedule was just as pathetic as Clemson or Baylor or anybody else outside of the two games not saying overall but outside of the two games Alabama lost their schedule is just as bad as Clemson Baylor's non like that, that's just the fact right so if Utah, remember, this is going into Championship Saturday. Obviously, Utah's lost. This is irrelevant now. But going into Championship Saturday when Utah had the one loss and was in the driver's seat for the playoff at the fourth potential spot, if Alabama was ranked ahead of Utah at that point on the simple notion that, well, Alabama's better, we, we kind of know they're better, then there literally would not be a point in playing the games. You just can't do that. You can't have a team ranked ahead of another team solely based on, I know their roster's better. I like their coach better. They're just a better team that's accomplished less. And, and Utah's not the great example because Utah hasn't accomplished much, but going into... Honestly, Utah and Alabama this year have accomplished pretty much the exact same thing. Neither of them have beaten anybody who's good, okay? 
and they both lost to the only ranked teams that they played. Okay, Utah lost to USC, who did finish ranked, okay? Like it or not, USC finished ranked number 22, an 8-4 and four team. Utah lost to them. Utah also lost to an 11-2 team, number 6, Oregon. Okay, Alabama lost to number 12, 9-3 Auburn, and they lost to number 1, 13-0 LSU. Good losses, you know, for both teams, not bad losses. But you will not find another team in this ranking board that either one of those two teams beat. Alabama didn't play Georgia. They didn't play Florida. There's no other team up here that's ranked that Alabama has beaten. As it stands, I think Alabama's best win is still Texas A&M. Maybe Tennessee. You know, seven and five teams. And same with Utah. Utah's best win is over probably Washington, who's like seven and five. Or, you know, I don't know, Arizona State, who's like six and six, seven and five, right? These aren't great wins. And you got 11 of them, or in Alabama's case, you got 10 of them. 10 wins is great, but none of them over anyone nostalgic. And that's why I, I think the rankings are perfect going into the playoff weekend. And there's one thing, I know I say I liked how the BCS did rankings. My one beef with the BCS was if you lost, you always dropped, no matter what. And I, I don't mind dropping, but one thing I didn't like about the BCS was if you lost your conference championship game, you would drop in the rankings below teams that didn't even play that weekend. Now, if all of a sudden, like in Virginia's case, Virginia was 9-3, and three, now they're 9-4. and four. They actually didn't drop in the rankings, or they maybe dropped one spot. But I don't mind when you drop a little bit there. But if the records are even going into championship Saturday, for example, going into championship Saturday... Penn State's 10 and 2, Florida's 10 and 2, okay? Wisconsin is 10 and 2, but unlike Florida and Penn State, Wisconsin is playing in a conference championship game. Bay Oregon was 10 and 2, but they were playing in a conference championship game and now they're 11 and 2. Baylor was 11 and 1, now they're 11 and 2. All those teams that played in conference championship games and lost and now have the same number of wins or losses as these other teams deserve to stay ranked ahead of them. For example, you see Oregon, Baylor, and Wisconsin all ranked ahead of Florida, Penn State, Alabama, Notre Dame, Auburn, because they played that weekend and those other teams didn't. Now, the one area where I don't agree with this is as Utah moved down below Florida and Penn State. And I understand that, right? Like, Florida's better than Utah. Penn State's better than Utah. But the reality was last week, Utah was ahead of those teams and they were 11 and 1. The only reason Utah has another loss is because they had to play in a conference championship game while Florida and Penn State and Alabama and Michigan and Notre Dame all sat at home. Right? So the committee's kind of doing this double whammy where they're kind of agreeing with me, right? They're saying, look, Oregon, you're 11-2 with the conference championship. You're going ahead of Florida and Penn State. So they were below all those teams to start the day at 10-2, which is fine because they were all 10-2. Oregon did have a worse resume than Florida or Penn State going into championship Saturday. After the win, they they leave them up there, right? Georgia was 11-1. They were ranked number four. 
Obviously, Oklahoma being 12-1 and now with the conference championship, they go ahead of Georgia after a Georgia loss. But Georgia got me. I honestly think Baylor should be five. If you really look at it, Baylor had one loss going into championship Saturday. They lost to what is now the number four team. They're 11-2. Georgia's 11-2. Oregon's 11-2. Baylor's loss on Saturday was not as embarrassing as Georgia's. But Georgia still throughout the season has some better wins than Baylor. So it doesn't matter. Again, I see like Florida fans because I got a lot of Florida fans on Twitter. A lot of Florida fans are upset, right, that Georgia stayed up that high, that Baylor and Wisconsin are still ranked above them. But what does it matter? Okay, Florida, you're number nine. Does it matter if you're nine or seven? I mean, it it didn't affect what bowl game you're going to. And even if it did, okay, Georgia gets the Sugar Bowl because they're five, so that's the way the ties work with SEC. They go to Sugar Bowl. Florida goes to Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl and the Sugar Bowl are on the same tier. One's not better than the other. They're, they're the same bowl game. Okay, the New Year's Six are all on the same tier. There's not one New Year's Six Bowl that's better than another New Year's Six Bowl. Outside of the fact, obviously, the two playoff ones are better because they're the playoff. But just in general, the other four are the same. Right? Same when we had the BCS and we had the National Championship game and the other BCS Bowls were all the same. Right? If I'm Georgia, I'd rather be in the Orange Bowl because I was just in the Sugar Bowl. I'd want some new scenery. Right now, what I do understand is wanting a better opponent. So, like Penn State, if I'm Penn State, I wish I would have got the Rose Bowl over Wisconsin because then I get to play for one the Rose Bowl. It's a little more prestigious if you're a Big Ten school, right? Just the history, but also I get to play Oregon instead of Memphis. And, and Memphis is good. They're 12 and one. We'll talk about them and Coach Norvell here in a sec. But it's one of those things where. You just don't like playing in that game, right? No one wants to be the the team that has to play against that lesser brand. And a lot of times you see that lesser brand step up and win because of that, right? So Boise State was the first real team to do this. I mean, you could argue Utah in 2004 with Urban Meyer, but they played a mediocre pit team then, so I don't really count that. Boise State in 2006 goes undefeated, right? Chris Peterson, the first real BCS bull buster, as we like to call him. They go to the Fiesta Bowl. They're playing Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma played a good game that that game but Boise State got out to a huge lead in that game and Oklahoma's like holy shit Boise State's legit they're they're not a joke and Boise State we all know the story right Boise State uh let Oklahoma come back but then it was the greatest finish of all time one of the greatest college football games of all time right um that was the first time 2007 however we get Hawaii they do the same thing Colt Brennan quarterback they become bull busters, undefeated team, but Georgia just smokes them, right? Georgia's so much better than Hawaii. Um, they took them seriously, and they just they destroyed them, ran them out of the Sugar Bowl that year. It wasn't even close. Now, 2008, Alabama plays Utah. So Utah goes undefeated. Remember, this is before Utah's in the Pac-12. Utah's in the Mountain West, just like Boise State, Hawaii, right? They're one of those teams. They go undefeated. They get to the Sugar Bowl and Alabama. Not that this is an excuse, right? Um, Alabama should still be embarrassed by this, but Alabama lost to them probably, if you're being realistic, if you're breaking it down, because they were mad they didn't beat Florida and they get didn't get to go to the national title game. So Utah's playing their Super Bowl, and then Alabama loses, right? And then, let's see, what other BCS Bulls in 2009? 2010 was interesting because... Or what year was it? 2009 or 10? One of the, one of the years, TCU and Boise State played each other, so they were both undefeated. They got to play each other, which is kind of cool because then you don't have two bowl games with the lesser brands. Of course, TCU is a Big 12 team now, not a big deal. And then of course you had TCU go to the Rose Bowl one year, 
and beat Wisconsin. I think that was 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Because Ohio State probably should have been the Rose Bowl or the title game, but they weren't eligible. So Wisconsin goes to the Big Ten. Whatever, whatever. I'm getting off on, on history that you guys probably don't care about. Just my nerdiness uh, tweaking out on me here. But that was the case, right? So what I'm saying, and then, you know, obviously recently you got UCF. You know, they're a bowl buster. They go beat Auburn. And I think Auburn showed up and played that game. UCF was really good. But just in general, you you know, if you're a college football player, you're you're on Auburn, you're on Bama, you're on one of these teams, like you want to go to a New Year's Six game, of course. You want to play in Sugar Bowls, Orange Bowls, right, Cotton Bowls, Siesta Bowls, playoff games, national championships, and you kind of want it to be against a team with another big logo on their helmet, right? We all grow up watching, you know, the Texas USC games, right? These these SEC, the Oklahoma, Miami's, the Orange Bowls, the Rose Bowls, like we we love those as fans and as players, we love those big helmet matchups, right? And these lower tier teams, right? Like a Memphis or Boise State, like they got to earn your trust before you start to respect that helmet in those games, right? So Penn State's probably sitting there like, "Hey, we got to go play Memphis. It's not a sexy, right? It's not the Rose Bowl. So I, what I'm trying to say, that was long, but I understand why some players and fans would want bowl games based on that, right? So from that standpoint, I understand why Florida maybe wants the Sugar Bowl. And maybe that's why they care about the rankings, right? Because if they jump Georgia, they probably go to the Sugar Bowl, and then Georgia has to go play Virginia, right? Because if you're Florida... I mean, this is just me. I want to play a team as close to me, my caliber as possible. If I'm Florida and I'm ranked ninth, I want to play a number seven Baylor. I want to play a number 11 Utah or Oregon or Wisconsin, right? I want to play one of those teams, Auburn maybe. Like I want to play one of, I guess SEC, but you, you want to play one of them, right? Where Virginia is nine and four, number 24. Now Florida can't sleep on Virginia, right? See, when you sleep on these teams, they do come up and bite you. And then it's like, that's embarrassing, right? Florida, I'm a Knoll fan. You guys know that. Florida State, it's no excuse, but we didn't get up for Houston in 2015, and we lost the Peach Bowl. And we lost. You can't use that as an excuse. It's not like, well, we had guys sit out for the draft, and you know our guys just didn't take the game seriously. That might be true, but that's not like a valid excuse. That, that might be a fact, but the reality is, is my school lost the Peach Bowl to an inferior brand. That is embarrassing. When Alabama loses to Utah in the Sugar Bowl, that happened. That's embarrassing, okay? Now, if you're Alabama, you make up for it with a bunch of national titles around it, but if you're just focusing in on 2008, Alabama lost the Sugar Bowl to Utah. That matters, right? Florida, you guys know, when you guys lost that Sugar Bowl to Louisville, in 2012, kind of similar, right? Utah, Louisville was the, I don't, was it still the Big East then, or did the American, yeah, I don't, this was before some of the realignment, right? So Louisville was like either 12 and 1 or undefeated that year, but just hadn't really played anybody. That's when they had, you know, Charlie Strong, Teddy Bridgewater, the, that, that whole team. And Florida was definitely better, right? We know Florida was more talented, um, but they didn't get to go play in the SEC title and they didn't get a shot at the national title, even though they were really good that year. And then, uh, Louisville comes in and beats him in the Sugar Bowl. One thing I remember from that was uh, Bosnick, right? Jonathan Bosnick's just epic hit on Bridgewater. God, that was awesome. Anyway, so, you know, those things happen, and what we should have learned is good coaching will get anyone up for anything. So it's important to, to keep that in mind. But anyway, that's kind of the tangent on the bowl games. Now let's look at some of these bowl games, right? Uh, for as far as the New Year Six goes, I think we got some pretty cool, fun matchups. Obviously, the playoff is awesome. I think the playoffs gonna be great this year. I'll get into this in a second, but you got the Peach Bowl, LSU, Oklahoma, 
I actually really like that matchup. Everybody's talking about how the fourth team this year is just kind of like whoever. There's huge separation between one, two, three, and four. And I think technically that's true. That's definitely true resume-wise. But Oklahoma, I think, is a potential matchup, not nightmare, but just sort of an interesting matchup for LSU. I don't think Oklahoma stands a chance against Clemson or Ohio State, but I think they match up well with LSU given the fact that I actually look at Oklahoma and LSU and I see two teams that are very, very similar. The only difference to me between LSU and Oklahoma is elite quarterback play on one team, LSU, and pretty good quarterback play on one team, Oklahoma. Both teams have amazing offensive coordinators and passing game coordinators, right? Dial up great plays. Both teams have mediocre defenses. Now, statistically, you cannot go out there and say that LSU's defense is anything special compared to Oklahoma's. Oklahoma's defense is better than last year. They're not great. And all you really have to compare these teams is one common opponent, Texas, okay? This is a healthy Texas, for the most part, playing at the peak of their performance against their two biggest games, right? They played LSU early, and then they played Oklahoma later. Texas's mental state, in these two games was very high this is before they lost you know three four games and they are what they are now and oklahoma dominated texas more than lsu texas and lsu got into kind of a shootout that lsu had to score a touchdown in the last minute to pull ahead and win where oklahoma the score doesn't really show up but if you watch that game they really dominated texas defensively now oklahoma's defense has played a lot worse since that game and some following games but I'm just trying to say, if you think this Peach Bowl is just a guaranteed LSU blowout, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that. Now, I'm probably going to pick LSU, but that's hunch, right? LSU just feels like this team of destiny right now, right? With Joe Burrow, Coach O, they kind of feel like this team of destiny, and that's more what I'm putting my eggs in. That's not something you usually bet on, right? I mean, statistically, you know, you look at rankings and stuff, and there isn't much evidence outside of that hunch to suggest that LSU is just going to blow out Oklahoma, right? This game could be a shootout, and in shootouts, anything can happen. I see this game going down very similarly to the way that Alabama and LSU went, and you're probably going, whoa, 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 Jalen Hurts is no Tua. That's true, but Oklahoma has Alabama-caliber receivers. They have a really good quarterback who can run, okay? There's another threat, and also they have a, a head coach and an offensive coordinator in Lincoln Riley that can dial up crazy plays to scheme guys open and shootouts are always possible when Oklahoma's on the field, right? And LSU reminds me of Oklahoma last year. Maybe a slightly better defense. I don't know if their defense is as bad as Oklahoma last year or the last couple of years, but LSU doesn't have a special defense. I mean, that that's a fact. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, LSU's defense yesterday. Well, you played a pretty bad offense in Georgia, right? Georgia's offense has been kind of mediocre all year long. And you also played a Georgia offense that had its best receiver injured and its second best receiver suspended for the first half. Georgia just doesn't have the receiver threats this year. That That's their main problem. I don't think Georgia needs to change their offense. I just think they need better receivers. So that's that. Anyway, and then of course, the Fiesta Bowl rematch of the 2016 Fiesta Bowl. We got Clemson, Ohio State again. Only this time, Ohio State's the two seed. Clemson's the three seed. If you remember, Clemson won that game in 2016, 31 to nothing right? That, that's great. An Urban Meyer team in the playoff losing 31 to nothing. I mean, to me, that game 
more so than the championship game a week later, really showed what Clemson was as a program. Right? We're the team that beats Ohio State 31 to nothing. An Urban Meyer led Ohio State team. That was impressive. And I think Ohio State fans are out for revenge against that. You also got to remember that Clemson beat Ohio State in the 2013 Orange Bowl. And that was a very good game, by the way. So this is the third time this decade that these two teams have met in a bowl game. Um, another little history reference, another bowl game these two played in was uh, the game where Woody Hayes punched a guy from Clemson and got fired. So that's funny. Anyway, Ohio State-Clemson, going to be a great bowl game. So there's your two playoffs, right? I think Ohio State and Clemson, two juggernauts, right? They're the two most complete teams. It's funny. These playoff games are similar, as I said. Oklahoma and LSU are very similar type of teams. LSU might be a little better, but they're, they're similar, right? Explosive offense, okay defense. You see a potential shootout there. Clemson and Ohio State, you just see a potential all-around great football game. You've got two high-flying offenses that can score. You've got two really good defenses, too. So I just hope we get a close game, right? If you're a real college football fan, you throw your conference ties aside, you throw all that aside, and you just root for epic games, right? Root for epic games. Okay, so then the next New Year's game that happens is the next night, and that is the Orange Bowl. So we've got Florida and Virginia. I mean, I can see this game being close for a little bit. I mean, it's all going to depend on how Florida respects Virginia, right? If Florida is just fired up, they're stoked to be in a New Year's game for the first time since 2012, right? And they just come out and they play like crazy, then I can see them, you know, beating Virginia pretty bad. But you got to remember, Virginia is going to put everything into this game. And I know Virginia's kind of embarrassed by Clemson, but I think Clemson is still a pretty far ahead of Florida right now. So this game could be close, but it's hard not to envision, you know, Florida winning by at least 10 to 17 points. We'll see. You know, Florida's got more talent than Virginia. Not by a whole bunch, but by a decent amount. There's also more depth there. So we'll see. That should that should be a fun game. Orange Bowl's always fun. I, it does annoy me that the ACC has to go to this game, right? Like, why can't Utah, who's ranked 11th, be in this game, right? Or... You know, or Michigan, or Notre Dame even, right? All these teams ranked way ahead. Minnesota even, right? Like, Iowa, Virginia's ranked 24th. Like, they just don't deserve to be in this game based on the ranking, based on the number of losses, right? But that's what's annoying about the Rose Bowl and the Orange Bowl is they have to go with those conference ties, right? These bowl games have been screwing things up since the poll era. So that's kind of annoying, right? So not now Utah, who's number 11, they're playing a 7-5 and five Texas team in the Alamo Bowl. Like, that's just that's just not fair, right? That just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so that's annoying. I would argue, I mean, the Citrus Bowl is more of a New Year's Six Bowl game than that one is. You got Michigan and Alabama, right? Number 14 versus number 13, 9-3 and three Michigan, 10-2 and two Bama, right? It's Bama and Michigan, Harbaugh versus Saban. I mean, that's, that's more of a New Year's Six game than the Orange Bowl is, just given the fact that Virginia probably shouldn't be there, but whatever. We'll get over it, okay? Rose Bowl, Oregon, Wisconsin. Love it. Good Pac-12 team, good Big Ten team. Uh, we had this matchup in 2011, and it was great. You know, DeAnthony Thomas versus Russell Wilson. Rematch of that. Should be fun. I'm, I'm, I'm highly considering going to this game, right? I am an Oregon alum. Oregon is my second team, root for them. And I got some buddies going to this game. One of my best friends lives in LA, and he works for Disney, so we might... 
go out there and go to that game. I haven't been to an Oregon game this year, obviously, because I've been out here in Florida now. So that would be cool, considering doing that. The Rose Bowl is a great venue. Been there twice, uh, once for the national title, Florida State-Auburn, and then the Rose Bowl uh, the next year, playoff, Oregon-Florida State. Both times were a blast. It's an amazing venue. Anyone who hasn't gone should go. Um, then you got the Sugar Bowl the same day, Georgia-Baylor. I think this is going to be a really interesting game. You got two really good defenses here. Really good defenses here. And, you know, I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. You know, especially it's a bowl game. Both defenses got a lot of time to scheme things up and prepare. You know, Georgia's got a lot of time to improve their wide receivers, you know, so they can hopefully get a downfield passing threat for this game. I, I honestly would favor Baylor in this game. Based on what I saw on Championship Saturday, I would favor Baylor in this game. You know, but I this is a game, I think it's going to be fun. You know, this is the type of game that might be like 17-13. to 13. You know, 24-21, something like that, which I know a lot of people aren't into that these days, but I love that. I love those classic defensive games, right? As long as the quality of defense is high and the offenses aren't just garbage, right, and it's real defense, I love those games. Um, but anyway, yeah, Sugar Bowl should be fun. You know, number five versus number seven, Sugar Bowl, can't complain. New Year's six, that's what college football is all about. Love it. Moving down, that is, is that the last one? I guess that is the last New Year's Six game, right? Because, yeah, we got the two playoff, Orange Bowl. Let's see, that's one, two, three, and then four, five. No, there, there's one more. What am I missing? Oh, Cotton Bowl. Yeah, so we got Penn State and, of course, uh, Memphis. That's the Cotton Bowl. Okay, so, yeah, th that, that's going to be a good game, too. You know, Memphis is good. I know, like I said, some people don't like the brand, the logo, but the more you get into college football, the more you pay attention. The American Athletic Conference was pretty good this year. I mean, you could definitely argue they're better than the ACC and Pac-12 as a, as a whole, and Memphis went 11-1. and Their only loss was to Temple, where they had some turnovers and some injuries. Um, they got good wins, and, and that should be a good game. Uh, Coach Norvell for Memphis, even though he's going to Florida State, he says he's going to coach in that game. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but that, that will make a difference. But, I mean, it's it's the Cotton Bowl. You got two ranked teams. Penn State definitely deserves a New Year's Six game, and then, you, and then you got Memphis out there. So, like I said, I like the rankings. I like the stuff. But I want to go back to one thing really quick regarding the rankings and best four teams versus more deserving teams. You guys know that I've always said that the committee takes the four most deserving teams over the four best teams that a one-loss conference champion will never be left out of the playoff as far as having a team that didn't win the conference title make it in over them, right? The history proves that. Now, we didn't really get any controversial scenarios where that could have happened or I could have been proven right, you know? Like, if, was, if Utah would have won and Oklahoma won, and then Ohio State lost, which looked like it might happen eventually, right? In that case, would I've been right, and would have Ohio State been left out, and Utah and Oklahoma both get in? I think so, but I know a lot of people disagree with me there. We didn't get to see that happen, so who knows? We get to guess for another year. But another thing I want to talk about, and this is specifically to SEC fans, and anyone who likes to thump, like what I was saying earlier about Bama, about like, well, my team's better. My team would win on a neutral field. Just think about this for one second. SEC fans that think Alabama should be ranked higher, but also believe that 
LSU should have the one seed. You are a hypocrite. Now, now don't get mad. Let me explain. Let me explain why that's hypocritical. The argument to have Alabama higher than they are right now is, like I said, solely based on the idea that you just know they're better. They look better than, you know, Utah. They look better than Wisconsin. They look better than Oregon. They look better than Penn State, right? And this is like pretend Tua was healthy, right? Maybe without Tua, it's a little different, but pretend because I think Bama would be ranked where they are with or without Tua. That has nothing to do with it, in my opinion. And I think the committee's opinion as well, right? Well, if if and if you want to go out, out that way, that's fine. If you believe it's about who looks better, who Vegas would favor, that is fine, okay? But then you can't make the case for LSU being number one because if we're using that argument, if we're using who looks like they might be better, I got to admit it's Ohio State and maybe even Clemson, right? I think Ohio State looks like a better football team than LSU. Now, it's close, but most of the country agrees with that. That's why Ohio State was one for a while, right? But I believe in accomplishments and resume, so I agree with LSU being the one seed. But if you agree with LSU being the one seed, you're basing that on their resume. You're saying what they've accomplished is so great, how would they not get the one seed? And I agree with you. But if you're going to say that, you can't turn around and then make the argument for Alabama or Georgia. Well, they're better than Wisconsin, Penn State, whoever, etc. They should be ranked ahead of them. No, you got to be consistent in your argument. Whatever argument you take, whether you agree with me and you think it's about most deserving and best record and conference championship, regardless of really strength of schedule, if, if you're like that, or if you're one of these people that's like, look, I don't care about wins or losses necessarily it's all just about who's actually better whatever side of that argument you land on just stick to it and be consistent right don't argue for alabama to be in the top four or five because you just think they're better they pass your eye test but then argue for lsu to be above ohio state because of their resume right those are conflicting arguments that don't go together it's either one or the other so i think if you look at what I said objectively, you'll realize, okay, yeah, like whether I agree with Michael here or not, I do have to pick one lane and stick with it. I can't constantly be changing my criteria to always just justify my SEC school or my Big Ten school, whatever whatever it is, right? SEC does this the most, but that's just the way it is, right? Because if you're saying, oh, Alabama, I just know they're better, I know they're better. Well, guess who else I, I know is better? Clemson, but they deserve to be number three. Because if you compare them to the other two undefeated Power 5 teams, they don't have as good of a resume. They just didn't play enough good teams. I think Clemson is better than LSU. If they were playing today, I'm betting on Clemson. However, LSU deserves the one seed because they've accomplished way more. They have a better resume. They've beaten better teams. And they're undefeated. And they're conference champions. Right? So when it comes to the top three, you've got three undefeated teams three teams that won their conference champions, okay, what's the next tiebreaker? Now you can start diving into strength of schedule, strength of record, and that's where LSU and Ohio State have to be above Clemson. And I don't even care if you're Dabo Sweeney, you got to be okay and accept that, right? Just like last year, Clemson was above Notre Dame because Notre Dame was kind of the Clemson of last year a little bit. So that's just the way it is. Anyway, I want to move on from playoff, from New Year's Bowl Talk, and get into coaching searches 
and some fan base talk, specifically Florida State, right? I'm going to talk to my Knowles here for a little bit. All right. So Florida State signs Mike Norvell, the Memphis coach, and the fan base is really up in the air about this hire, right? They're, they're really conflicted. Some people, shut up the phone. Some people love it. Some people don't love it. Some people think it's terrible. I am not saying that this is some great, amazing hire. I, I would never say that because I don't think you can judge that yet. What I am going to say is that if you think it's a terrible hire, you're an idiot. And I, I don't want to be rude and don't want to call it the fan base, but I honestly believe you're an idiot. Let's break down the FSU coaching search for just a second. And let, let me explain. So Florida State fires Willie Taggart the day after the Miami game, right? Exactly five weeks ago now. So over a month ago. And when they did that, everybody was kind of saying, okay, there, there must be a plan. There must be this in place, that in place, right? You know the Bob Soup's talk. First of all, regardless of if Florida State had a plan or not, firing Taggart when they did was completely justified, right? One thing I hate from the fan base of Florida State is you go on Twitter and one of the reactions to hiring Norvell was, wow, we, we really fired Willie Taggart midseason to get Norvell? Or, wow, we really fired Taggart without a plan? What what does that mean, guys? Why You didn't need a plan to justify firing Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart was terrible. He was a disaster. There was no reason to keep him. Once you knew you were going to fire him, you might as well do it earlier than later. That's better for recruiting. It's better for everything. It's better for everybody, right? You can start organizing. You can start doing your search. You can reach out to a, a long shot like Bob Stoops. Where Think about it. If, if Florida State had waited to fire Taggart till the end of the season, they would have never even been able to approach Bob Stoops, if you think about it, because they it would have all been happening so fast, right? Just like when Jimbo left, right? And everything happened so fast. So... Firing Willie Tiger was solely based on the fact that he was terrible. It wasn't based on who Florida State might be able to get. Once you knew that you were moving on from Willie Tiger, you just do it then and there. Okay, it's totally justified. Whether Florida State had a really good plan that they butchered or not, firing Tiger needed to happen that day regardless. Regardless. And you didn't need a plan. You didn't need to have your coach hot board ready to go in order to fire Taggart. You just needed to look at his record, look at what wasn't happening, look at what was never going to happen, look at the amount of ticket sales that were going to be lost the following year and just fire him on the spot, which is what they did. And I was proud of the university when they did that. Okay. Now, once Willie Taggart's fired, because he was terrible and you had to move on, and you start evaluating the situation realistically, and you're like, okay, Florida State needs a new football coach. They need a new football coach. Now, who is that likely to be? And I understand that the Bob Stoop stuff was legit. I know they were talking to him, okay? Enough boosters have come out and said, hey, we were talking to Bob. I'm sure they were talking to Bob. The reality is, is Bob Stoops was never a realistic candidate. Of course you go talk to him. Of course you go try to get him, especially since you can't really talk to any other coaches for the first month anyway. Of course you go try to get Bob Stoops. If you could somehow land Bob Stoops, that'd be incredible. That'd be awesome, right? Just the hype that would go into that. 
Now, I've talked about how I personally don't think he would have been the best option, even if you could get him. I think Franklin would have been the biggest, best splash hire we could have gotten, and it's also, that was more realistic than Bob. Still not very realistic, though. Okay, Bob Stoops just wasn't realistic. Bob Stoops retired because he didn't want to be a college football coach anymore. He's on quote as saying his recruiting was burning him out. He didn't want to do that anymore, right? Oklahoma was finally starting to slip from what he had built. He hands it off to Lincoln Riley before it could ever go sour. Oklahoma's in a good spot now. He's happy now, right? But of course, these Bob Stoops, these guys like to be courted. They like to be entertained by job offers. So of course, they're going to listen, right? Especially when you probably have Florida State offering them the world, right? You know, people like being Florida. It's like sometimes you got a married guy or a married girl who would never in a million years cheat on their spouse, right? But they're getting a little older, right? You're in your 40s now. You're not in your 30s or 20s. So some young, good-looking person comes up and flirts with you, and, and you're kind of flattered, right? And you entertain it, right? Because you're like, oh, I still got it, right? Like, that, that kind of makes me feel good. Like, this young, very attractive person, like, still looks at me as what I used to be, right? You got no intention of pursuing it because you're committed to the choice you made, right? You're married. And that, and that's Bob Stoops, guys. That's that's what he is now, right? He's the older guy. He retired. He's a legend. But he likes the idea that people still think about him, still consider him in that regard. So he listened to Florida State, turned us down. He also turned USC down this year. He also turned down Florida last year. He'll probably turn down the Cowboys later this year, okay? He's done coaching. You gave it a good try. But if your idea was, okay, it's Bob Stoops or bust, you're an idiot, that's so unrealistic, okay? The only realistic, and I, and I mean semi-realistic, splash higher name was James Franklin. And even that wasn't very realistic because he was already at a really good Power 5 program. He's from Pennsylvania. He wants to stay at Penn State. He may have been arguing with administration because he wants them to commit like Ohio State is, right? Franklin wants national champions. He wants to pursue that. So Florida State's only shot at getting Franklin was pursuing Franklin, saying, we will give you the world. We will invest everything. And then Franklin taking that and then leveraging that to Penn State and saying, if you don't give me X, Y, and Z, I'm going to Florida State. And that's exactly what he did. And Penn State caved. So he stayed at Penn State. You can't blame anybody for that, okay? That is not on Florida State. Now, if it comes out later that Florida State didn't get James Franklin or didn't get Bob Stoops because they weren't committed, right, then you can be mad. I would be mad at that too. But I'm 90% sure that's not the case. I'm pretty sure Florida State threw everything at Bob Stoops and James Franklin when it comes to the check that they would write to the commitment, right, to the facilities, to the staff, to everything to running the program. And those guys just said, no, they're at better places right now. Franklin also turned down USC, right? He didn't want to leave Penn State. Okay, so these two giant splash names were basically just not realistic. You also got to take into fact, people don't realize how big of a deal it is that Florida State has an outgoing president and AD, and that makes any coach skeptical about taking the job, especially a big-time coach that's already at a big school. Okay, we were never going to get James Franklin or Bob Stoops. Of course, we should try, right? You're going to ask the hot girl to prom. Why not? Worst thing that can happen is she says no, but you're still happy when the good looking girl says yes, right? The, that's just, it's the way it is. 
So, so many Florida State fan base idiots got so bought into that. And then you got people that, of course, like just think highly, more highly of us than we are, right? We're a great program. We're definitely a top 10 job, but we've got issues right now. Why, just ask yourself, why would a really good coach who's already at a big time school leave that school to come to Florida State and deal with our problems? They wouldn't. It just wouldn't make sense, guys. So, Given the fact that we've debunked the idea that Franklin or Stoops or Brian Kelly, I don't even need to talk about him, those were never realistic options. So given the fact that those were never realistic, okay, realistic options were always from that second tier of candidates, right? Matt Campbell, Matt Rule, Mike Norvell, so on and so forth, right? Guys in that pool. And honestly, after doing more research, I think we got one of the best guys of that pool. Now, it looks like maybe Campbell said no to us or PJ Fleck. If you really think about it and think about it hard and do the research, there's no evidence to, to suggest that Mike Norvell was clearly the bottom of those of those second tier candidates, right? And that's the way the fan base is reacting. They're they're acting like, wow, like once they did accept that we were going for second tier. They're acting like we just totally botched it. Like Mike Norvell is the bottom, right? Like it's like there's this clear hierarchy that, that Campbell, Rule, Fleck, we're all clear cut above Norvell. And I'm not saying Norvell's above them necessarily, but there's really no evidence to say that those guys are miles above Norvell. There's pros and cons to all of them, right? I understand saying, hey, I want a guy with power five experience. I, I totally understand that. That is a red flag for Norvell. Totally get that. But there's a lot of positives about Norvell that I think Florida State fans really need to take into account and focus on. Now, the main one, and this is the one I love, is his hiring ability has proven to be very successful. A ton of his assistant coaches, both offensive and defensive coordinators, are working all over the Power Five. I forget the names exactly, but Norvell had an offensive coordinator who's now at Auburn. He had an offensive coordinator that's now at Notre Dame. Okay, he had a wide he had an offensive coordinator that's now the wide receivers coach at Tennessee. Okay, he had another one of his offensive guys. I think Derek Dickey or something like that, who's at Texas A and M co-offensive coordinating with Jimbo, right? In total, he has hired eight coaches that are now moved on to Power 5 schools. Eight. That is pretty impressive. Very impressive, I would say, right? That's that's almost Saban-esque, right? Like being able to deal with this staff turnover. That proves he's a very good hiring coach, right? I don't know. Did I butcher that sentence? Like he's good at hiring. Okay. That was Willie Taggart's biggest flaw. In my opinion, Willie Taggart's biggest problem when he first got to Florida state outside of not recognizing talent deficiencies was the inability to put together a competent staff, right? Look at how poorly coached Florida state's been the last couple years, especially Willie Taggart's first year. Look at that terrible offensive line coach we pulled in Harlan Barnett was a disaster. Walt Bell, I mean, who the hell was that guy, right? That guy wore a Florida State hat and got to call himself the offensive coordinator at, at Florida State University. That's just embarrassing. I mean, that guy sucks. He's a bum, right? UMass, who he's the head coach of now, is like got one of the worst offenses in like the history of Power 5 football. They're so bad. It's not even funny. I get mad about that one. But also Barnett is a bum. 
all these guys that that Taggart brought on his staff were bums, right? Then he tried to make up for it this year by giving over the offense, which he was supposed to be good at, to Bryles. Bryles did the best he could. Bryles is a good coach, but his type of offense isn't just the type of offense I like. I'm not comfortable with that. Norvell, right, who does run some tempo, this is the other thing I like about him. He wins in a number of different ways offensively. He's an offensive mastermind, similar to like like a Bryles to like some of these other guys. But the thing I've always hated about like the Bryles offense or the Chip Kelly offense or these tempo offense is there's like five plays total, right? And your offense either works or it doesn't, right? You either catch your opponent off guard with tempo, you're either more conditioned than them, you're winning first down, or you just lose and get like no yards, right? There's no in-between. There's no dialing up this play against this defense and reading that coverage and making all these adjustments and going now calling these types of plays and scheming up, you know, plays on the fly, rewriting routes on the fly. There's none of that in the Bryles type offense, right? It's, it reminds me of the Oregon Ducks under Chip Kelly. It's like, oh, we got this this kind of this new thing, but if a defensive coordinator figures it out, we will not score this game. We will not move the ball. Norvell, it's almost similar to Jimbo. It's, it's almost like a combination of the two, right? Like, he, he's always thinking, you can tell. I've watched a lot of Memphis games now, and, like, he schemes up plays. It reminds me of Jimbo on the sideline, right? He's, he's studying. He's reading the defense every play, talking to his guys in the booth. What are you seeing? What can we call based off that? And if you look at it, or the four years he's been at Memphis, he's won in all sorts of different ways offensively. He's had some years where he had a crazy good rushing attack. He's had some years where the passing game was heavy, right? He's put receivers, running backs in the NFL. He's had decent quarterbacks that are backups in the NFL. Um, this year, they came into the season with a big-time running back, um, and he got injured in like the first game. And everybody was thinking like, okay, Memphis lost their big running back. They were going to be a big rushing team. Well, now they've been a really big passing passing team this year. So Norvell does a lot of things that I like. Now, I understand some people are worried about recruiting. I'm not worried about that at all if I'm a Florida State fan. I mean, I am a Florida State fan, and I'm not worried about recruiting at all. The main reason is, again, going back to Willie Taggart, Taggart was supposed to be the god of recruiting, right, especially in the state of Florida, and he sucked. Right by the standard he was brought in at, he sucked. Right, and because he wasn't an X nose coach and pretty much sucked at everything else, we had one of the worst years in the history of the program. So that's that. Look at our rival, you know, Florida. They've done a great job. They hired Dan Mullen, who hasn't really recruited well for them. Right, Taggart actually beat Mullen in recruiting that first year and was on pace to beat him this year before shit hit the fan and he got fired. Right. And it doesn't matter. Florida's still way better than us because Mullen's just a better football coach. He's putting his players in better position. He's coaching his quarterbacks to be better players, right? That, that's just the way it is. So give me an in-game coach who just runs a better program at this point, and the recruiting will follow. Also, a lot of people say that Norvell is a really good recruiter, that he's a very good modern recruiter. He knows how to get things done, if you know what I mean, right? He comes from Memphis, and word is that he was in well with the Calipari-type booster guys. So he gets that stuff, right? He understands, um, if you know what I'm talking about. So he's going to be a decent recruiter, right? He'll he'll earn those relationships in the Florida area, and, and he'll get that done, right? It's Florida State, guys. You win games, kids come play, okay? Just the way it is. So, again, I'm not saying Norvell is this great hire at all. We'll see what happens. I know for a fact we've upgraded from Willie Taggart. I mean, it, it can only go up. It would be so hard to be that bad again, or especially to be worse, 
right? Especially since instead of coming in with all this high expectations and thinking everything's great, he's probably not going to win the press conference like Taggart did, right? Not even close. He's going to come in knowing it's a rebuild, knowing there's depleted talent. Fans aren't going to be like, what the heck is going on when we lose our opening game next year? Like they were, like Taggart was himself surprised when we lost Virginia Tech in 2018. So the Ravel hire, I'm good with it. Not stoked about it, but if you're realistic, if you weren't stupid going into the coaching search, if you weren't buying into the absolutely unrealistic hype that we were going to land one of these crazy good coaches, then you can't be that mad with this hire. The idea that our administration butchered the coaching search is ridiculous. Let me give you another, an interesting stat. In like the last 15 years, there's really only been three coaching hires that were like out of this world splash name hires, right? If Florida State would have got Bob Stoops, right, that would have been the fourth, right? Or even Franklin, like that That would have been, that's what people are understanding. Like if Florida State would have managed to get Bob Stoops or even James Franklin, like that would have been one of the top four coaching hires of the past like 20 years, right? What were the other three big giant hires that happened over the last like 10 to 15 years? When Saban went to Bama, that was a big deal, right? That was like huge name at the time. Like, okay, it really looked like Saban had won. I mean, that Alabama had won a giant hire when they brought in Saban. And you you might not have been expecting five national titles and this much dominance, but you were like, yeah, they're going to be pretty good, right? They're going to go on a run here. And of course they did. They exceeded expectations. Now, the other big time hire was Urban Meyer to Ohio State. That one was like, okay, wow. It's going to be hard to see that one not going well, right? It's Ohio State and it's Urban Meyer. So that one looked really good. Now, the other big time splash hire, the only other really big one I can think of is Harbaugh to Michigan. And that one hasn't really lived up to the hype. Harbaugh's obviously turned Michigan around and they've been pretty good, but they're not winning national titles. They're not even winning Big Ten titles. They can't beat their rival. So Florida State fans, just put that in perspective. Like, oh no, you didn't get to be one of those biggest hires of all time, like boo-hoo, right? It's like I said with the prom thing. It's it's not a big deal. You still upgraded. You still made a step in the right direction. Like guys, last or a couple years ago, Florida did not get their first choice. Dan Mullen, who's turned out great for the Gators, he was like their third or fourth choice, okay? They missed on guys. LSU wanted Jimbo Fisher. They wanted Tom Herman. They had to settle on Coach Oh, they'd settle on Ed Orgeron, and everybody made fun of him. And they're twelve, they're thirteen and zero right now, going to the playoff. They're probably going to win a national championship. So, settle down, right? Dabo Sweeney was a wide receivers coach no one had ever heard of, and he's built a crazy dynasty at Clemson. Like, right? Brian Kelly was a was a group of was the Cincinnati coach, right? And he's done amazing at Notre Dame, about as well as you can realistically expect to do at a place like Notre Dame right? So, I mean, come on. And then think about how many times we've seen semi-sexy splash hires go south, right? Must champ to Florida. He was the big coordinator that was going to be the next big coach, right? That was a disaster. And now he's a disaster again at South Carolina, right? Tom Herman was the big time hire to Texas. I mean, I wouldn't say that's a failure, but it's not going super well, especially this year. They're seven and five again. So just... Lay off the coaching stuff, guys. I mean, and like I said, the firing of Taggart was justified. 
Now, the last coaching tangent I want to go on here is when firing a coach isn't justified on the spot, and that is when your coach it does have like eight and four, nine and three type seasons, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with programs like Auburn, Michigan, right, Texas. These guys going like eight and four isn't good enough for us. Nine and three isn't good enough. We want more. There's nothing wrong with that mentality. However, you never fire an eight and four coach or a nine and three coach just on the spot, just for the hell of it, right? So specifically Auburn and Michigan, right? Like a lot of their fan bases are sick of them. Harbaugh can't beat Ohio State. Michigan can't win more than 10 games max, right, right now. And, you know, you got Auburn. Auburn does manage to to beat Alabama like every two years or something. So Gus Malzahn has done that, but they're never going better than like nine and three, eight and four. They did get to the national title that one year, but they didn't win it. So it's like Auburn fans are constantly wanting Gus fired. Michigan fans, or at least not so much Michigan fans, but a lot of other college football fans think Harbaugh should be fired. Um, or, of course, you know, got Clay Helton at USC. They're always going 8-4. and four. Like, that's not good enough, right? USC should be playing for Pac-12 championships at the very least, you know, going to playoffs, going to national championships. However, I really like what USC did recently. It's very obvious that USC approached Urban Meyer, approached a James Franklin. Once they were told no, they kept their guy, right? Because just firing your eight and four coach, that is reckless. When that's when you should have a plan. So I'm kind of tying this back to the to the people saying, "Oh, Florida State should have had a plan to fire Tiger." No, no, no. When you're five and seven and you're terrible, and the only direction you can go is down, you fire your coach right there on the spot. You fire him in the middle of the season. You do it. You don't need a plan to justify it. When you're eight and four, nine and three, you absolutely need a plan to justify that firing, right? Texas A&M did it brilliantly. Now Jimbo might not end up working out for A&M. It looks like they just replaced one eight and four coach with another eight and four coach, right? But when Texas A&M had Kevin Sumlin and they kept going eight and four, in their mind that wasn't good enough. So, but they didn't just fire him. They didn't just say you're out, right? They fired him because they knew Jimbo was gonna come right? LSU was trying to do the same thing with Les Miles. LSU wanted to move on from Les Miles for a while, and they were flirting with Jimbo Fisher, and once they didn't get Jimbo Fisher, they kept Les Miles a couple more seasons, right? And then eventually they got rid of him. And they almost paid the price for that, right? When LSU got rid of Les Miles, they didn't then get the guys they wanted, and they had to settle for Coach O. And yes, it has worked out, but think about how risky that was. Think about how they felt when they had to settle for Coach O. I'm sure in that specific moment, they were probably like, I wish we would have just kept less miles. Now it's worked out for them, right? So now they can look back on hindsight like, okay, right? Kevin Sumlin at A&M upgrading to Jimbo. Yeah, you're mad you may have spent a bunch of extra money to basically get the same result, but at least you knew you weren't going to go backwards, right? So Michigan, Harbaugh, I agree that if you can find a guy who's clearly better than Harbaugh, and I don't know who that would be, then yeah, sure, move on from Harbaugh. But you don't just fire 9-3 and three Harbaugh because you're trying to chase Ohio State. Michigan knows firsthand what it's like to fire your 9-3 and three coach trying to chase Ohio State. That's what they did to Lloyd Carr in 2007, right? Lloyd Carr was a really good coach. He did win a national title back in 97, and he consistently had Michigan, you know, winning 10 games here and there, getting to Rose Bowls, you know, they were, they were pretty good, but they just couldn't beat Ohio State. And in an effort to finally get to that Ohio State level, they fired Lloyd Carr, and then they spend almost 10 years in absolute 
mediocrity and, and, and a lot of years of that were spent just, you know, like four and eight type seasons, right? Rich Rodriguez comes in. He's just terrible, right? He gets fired. Brady Hoke comes in, has one decent season while Ohio State's on probation, and then he's not working out, right? So then they bring Harbaugh in, and Harbaugh's brought them back to at least where Lloyd Carr had them. And, you know, same with USC. You know, USC, obviously, they want to get back to the Pete Carroll days, but they've got a decent thing going, right? Clay Helton took them to a Rose Bowl right, where they won, right, they won 10 games that year, he took them to the Cotton Bowl the next year in a Pac-12 championship, yeah, he had a down year after Darnold left, right, and now they're kind of just going 8-4, and four. it's, you want better if you're USC, but you don't just fire your 8-4 and four coach without a plan, so those are the scenarios where you do need a plan to fire your coach, okay, um, Quick things I like slash things I hate. Specifically, something I like. Um, after the SEC championship game, Kirby Smart was talking about essentially how his receivers just weren't good enough this year. And it's funny, a lot of people were giving him crap for this, saying like, oh, we threw players under the bus and whatnot. And no, when I heard that speech, I thought it was a guy being extremely honest and basically just saying, look, guys, like, Fromm did better when we had NFL caliber receivers. He, he wasn't throwing Fromm under the bus. He was saying Fromm's really good, but when you lose NFL receivers and then your best two receivers are injured and or suspended, you're obviously going to struggle. And he's not throwing his receivers under the bus. He's basically just saying, like, look, we got NFL talented guys, and now we've got younger guys that just haven't quite stepped up yet, you know? And he's even said, I got to... Like, to me, that whole speech he gave was just... It was honesty. It was legit. There was nothing weird or controversial about it. People were acting like, oh, who would want to go play for Kirby Smart after this speech? I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, football players do. Badasses do. Because he's honest. And he's a good coach. Maybe not as good as some Georgia fans thought he was, right? The second coming of Saban and whatnot. But he's good. Georgia's in a pretty good spot. Anyway, I just want to get that off my chest because I thought that was annoying that people were bashing Kirby for that. It, there's things you can bash Kirby for, right? Like some of his in-game play calling and coaching decisions, right? Like the onside kick last year in the SEC Championship game. But this specific speech was not something I would bash Kirby on. Okay, so that's it for today. Looking forward to bowl games. Going to be doing a bunch of podcasts leading up to the national title game and then probably one after, obviously, before we wrap the season up. It's been really fun doing the podcast. Love that people enjoy it. And I will see you all later.